Welcome back to True Crime Trine, the podcast where the planets align and three friends talk about true crime, astrology, and any other weird bullshit we can fit into this podcast. I'm your host, Hannah, along with Sarah and Meredith. Welcome to episode four. which will be Sarah's first full episode to tell us a story in. All right, so we're going to jump right into it, I guess. Today, I have a bit of a weird and unfinished story, but, you know, both of your first stories from episodes two and three were really close to home, and I felt like I had to do a little bit of digging to find out, you know, what was my closest first hometown story that kind of led me on this path. I actually have very little recollection of this specific event, but my mom was able to commit to memory more of the details because of her unpleasant encounter with the police at the scene, which just so happened to be the street that we lived on as I was growing up. That's extremely hometown. Extremely hometown. And not even just the same street, but like less than a five minute walk away from my front door. That's crazy. Yeah. So just to set the scene for the street, it's Covina Hills Road. It was a winding, or is still. It still exists. It still exists. It's a narrow winding road that runs down kind of like a more rural, hilly, slightly forested area with a lot of like hiking and horseback riding trails. On one side, there's kind of like a steep steep-ish hill that's like covered in grasses it's kind of exposed and then on the other side there's a downward slope with a lot of trees and there's a dry creek bed at the bottom and the trail that I'm referring to runs along that creek my dad and I used to go on walks on this trail all the time we called it the boogeyman trail before there was a boogeyman (laughs) well yeah so I'm thinking because I have memories of this like going way way back but I think maybe he started calling it that to make me scared to go down there alone, maybe. So good parenting. Was this before or after? Well, because this happened when I was four. And I definitely wouldn't have gone wandering around when I was four. But, I mean, we lived on a fairly large size of land and, like, had, you know, like, cool hills and forests and trees and stuff in the unmanaged part of our backyard and side yard. And so I'd kind of, like, meander around and, like, that probably is also part of my origin story of like why I like biology so much is I was out there all the time playing with like the bugs and the spiders and the you know slugs and roly-polies and collecting things and looking at all sorts of weird shit right so it's a better origin story than mine which might be Larissa (laughs) Schuster well (laughs) so this boogeyman trail right like I remember my cousins and I going down there but like we could never go alone and we could never go down there at night those were the rules basically sounds creepy as shit yeah so I think, yeah, I think definitely they, my dad started calling it that to like make sure that we didn't go down there without a parent, basically, because it's it was scary. It was spooky. Yeah, good job, dad. Yeah, but so like looking back on it, the trail is super pretty, but it, yeah, I would say spooky too, especially for little kids because of how the trees grow in like a tunnel around where the creek bed is. So that means two things. You can't really see a whole lot around you, and also you can't see the trail from the road. So when you're driving down the road, if you don't know there's a trail down there, it's completely hidden from view. Interesting. Yeah. So most of the properties on this road are set far enough back on the parcels of land that, you know, it's not really like a neighborhood sort of attitude there. Many of the residents have like horses, goats, chickens, that kind of thing. They're not super close physically and personally. And there really isn't a whole lot of, yeah, right? Like, I didn't have kids in my neighborhood to play with. It was me and my bugs in the backyard. 
<laughs> that explains so much. Thanks. So, yeah, like, unless you live on that road or you know it as a shortcut to get to a different part of town, it's really not traveled on very much. So unless you're in the know, like, you kind of just don't go on that road. And so um, we were arriving home late one evening. My mom seems to remember that, like, it was after coming home from Knott's Berry Farm or something. Oh, so after a fun day. Yeah, after a fun, but, like, exhausting. Because it's nighttime and, like, she's done. I'm four. My cousins are probably with us. So, like, it's been a day. And we can't actually get to our driveway because there's police cars blocking off the whole road everywhere. Like, lights going, the road is totally blocked off, and it's, like, all right before our house. So she's kind of frustrated and, like, we just want to go to our house. It's right there. And as she rolls down her window to try and tell the officer, like, can you please let us through, he, like, barks at her to turn around. The road's been closed off. And she tries pleading with him to say, like, no, we live right there. And he demands to see her ID to verify that, like, we do live right there. That's rude. Yeah. So, like, I get it. But at the same time, you're like, my house is right fucking there. I can see it. Exactly. Also, for a long time, my ID address did not match my actual address. I don't know. Somehow she had proof that she had lived there, basically. Here's a bill. Yeah, I, I mean, right? I don't know exactly how she did it, but they were able to verify that, like, that was our address. We are allowed to get to our house kind of thing. But yeah, it was really, really rude. And so, like, after some arguing back and forth, they let us through. And, like, she is exhausted, right? But so my mom was so kind of irritated by the treatment of the officer and how rude he was that she ends up actually calling the station to submit, like, a statement of complaint for how unnecessarily rude he was. Like, yeah, my mom having early 1990s Karen energy. <laughs> yeah. And this cop having some cop energy. Yeah, you know. She's like, let me see your badge and what's your supervisor's name. <laughs> exactly. So she did take his badge number to be able to complain about oh, him. Oh my god. Yeah. Good job, mom. Not that she remembers what the number is, but like she had written it down so that when she called in, she had all the facts. Probably something else maybe about me then, huh? Oh, that makes sense, too. <laughs> so then she was basically informed that, yes, he was wrong for his attitude, but it had been a long day for him as well of investigating the area because there was a burned body found nearby. Yikes. And so I guess that was reason enough for her to be able to, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt, given the circumstances. Fair. I don't yeah, know if yeah. I'd want to go home, to be honest. Yeah, it was kind of like, I mean, I don't remember it, but it seems like it would be really, really scary to go home knowing that there was a... In, in murder investigation happening like almost in your front yard kind of although deal. i guess all the cops are there so it might also be the safest place yeah but hopefully you know if it's ongoing investigation too my first thought is is the uh perpetrator yeah perpetrator that's the word i'm looking for <laughs> is he nearby what's happening yeah this sounds like a good time to get a hotel room <laughs> just keep having this adventurous day it's 1995 we just lock the doors make sure the windows are closed <laughs> At least you locked the doors. We learned that by the 90s. Yeah. Yeah, no yeah. kidding. Yeah, so all these years later, like, I, we started talking about what our hometowns are, and I was kind of, I don't remember the conversation I was having with my mom specifically, but I think this might be, like, my first experience with this sort of true crime exposure. So I took this and ran with it. I did some digging, some clumsy internet sleuthing, and turns out that this one hasn't been solved. So this is the story of Gail Allen who also was known as 1995's Jane Doe number 59. Number 59. That's sad. That's very sad. It is sad. Are those numbered just by the state or by the entire country? This is county. This is county. This is L.A. County. Damn. Balls. Yep. Yep. 
And this was the 59th Jane Doe they found. In that yep. county. Yep. Yikes. I am going to alienate future listeners. LA is a hellscape. Yeah, there's a reason I don't live there anymore. Good luck to those who do. I mean, crazy people are everywhere. And we'll find out, too, that, I mean, they're not always just in LA, so. <laughs> there's a, a lot in Fresno. I have oh, yeah. stories. There's a lot in Washington. Just wait. Yeah, something yeah. about that green and that rain just makes them, like, sprout up like a mushroom. <laughs> Growth chamber for crazy. Yes, it's just a good place to hide bodies. I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. So, in the afternoon of October 28th, 1995, a man was riding his horse on a trail following the creek bed that runs along that south side of Covina Hills Road in that dark, shrouded ravine area, and he discovered as he was riding, a body in a charred area of vegetation. He obviously freaks out, immediately rode his horse back to the nearest property to try and ask to use the phone to alert the police. And I'm not aware of it, but it probably wasn't our home because we weren't home. (laughs) Yeah, probably not. He might have tried us first. I don't know. There wasn't ring camera back then? No, there wasn't anything. cell phones in 1995 weren't really a thing. Nope. Maybe a pager, though. Oh yeah, a pager. While he's riding his horse. (laughs) (laughs) So he's able to alert the police, and then there's a detailed article written by Lisa Leff for the LA Times that describes the investigation and the state of her body, some of which I'll quote and paraphrase here. So, the right side of her face and neck were charred, but the officer finds a mark on the front of her throat, a ligature injury. Her tongue protrudes from between her teeth, and her eyes exhibit conjunctival petechiae which is when you are cutting uh, off oxygen, your blood vessels in the whites of your eyes can rupture and cause a little red dotting. So that's what the conjunctival petechiae are. Both of which are actually further signs of suffocation. Burned scraps of plaid pattern fabric that the investigator guesses are remnants of a sleeping bag are kind of under her head and all around because they're all burned scraps. They estimated that she'd been in the ravine for less than 24 hours, and the only personal possession that was recovered at the scene was a single silver earring. As per the coroner's examination, she was between 19 and 33 years old, most likely in her early 20s because her wisdom teeth were just starting to emerge. She was 5'5 and weighed 130. Her last meal was some sort of rice and red sauce, and she kept her fingernails clean and unpolished. Other than that, the body was basically unrecognizable, and because of the burns, they couldn't really get a full idea of what her face originally looked like, but they did end up doing a sketch. There weren't any recognizable or accompanying articles other than the earring. There was no wallet with ID or cards to identify, and so she was labeled as Jane Doe, number 59. So the crime scene didn't give a whole lot to identify her, but it yielded some clues also to the killer's actions when he was, or they were, dumping her body. I was going to say, it sounds almost more like a dump site than a crime scene. Mm-hmm. But you did say that there was charred vegetation around there, so... Yes. At least that aspect of the crime, the burning of the body, happened in that area. That was part of the dump. Yeah. But she did have ligature mark bruising around her neck, right? So that kind of indicates that she probably died of strangulation maybe elsewhere. The crime scene didn't get a whole lot to her identification, but the killer's actions were kind of, like, tracked out in how they dumped her body. 
The evidence suggested that she was killed elsewhere and her naked body was then wrapped in the sleeping bag for transport and then they had stopped along the side of the road at one of the small pull-offs, doused the sleeping bag with some sort of flammable liquid and then pushed her from the top of the ravine down the steep slope into the dry creek bed. And so it appeared that the sleeping bag... That's awful. Yeah, had become kind of unraveled as it rolled and burned. And that's why her body was exposed when it came to rest at the bottom of the ravine. It was only, you know, partially covered with some of the scraps of the the burning bag. That makes more sense than what I was imagining, which was them going on a hike with a dead body in a sleeping bag, which is extremely conspicuous. But so was a fire. Yeah. Did they say anything more about, like, so they lit her on fire and then rolled her down the hill? I mean, that seems a little counterintuitive. It looks like it. Yeah, because they're... There were burns at the top of the hill. She stopped, drop, and roll. Yeah. There were burns at the top of the hill and kind of sporadically as it went down. So it's almost like the sleeping bag was burning, but there wasn't enough to be able to burn through the vegetation because it is pretty, it's pretty dark. So it's kind of like shady and lush back there in certain spots. Just a fun side note. I am a certified wildland fire investigator. Ooh. Oh my goodness. So. All these cool jobs. It's not. Uh, <laughs> oh no! <laughs> it's it's usually hot and sweaty and stuff is on fire, so it's, it's yeah, gross. it's but, actually a um, major bummer. Yeah, it like I said, it seems a little counterintuitive to go to the effort of lighting the bag on fire or whatever, and then because even the action of rolling her down the hill isn't going to necessarily keep the flames going. So if they mm-hmm. were really trying to you know burn her remains, then I guess they've just... Not the smartest way to do it. <laughs> yeah, it just doesn't, yeah. it doesn't make sense to me. Or maybe they were just trying to burn the part that they knew had incriminating evidence, like the sleeping bag. Like Okay, that makes a little bit more sense. Although like maybe like... they're fiber or something, I don't know. Uh, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't sound like the smartest move, but that's... Like, the way that it's being described, basically, is they could tell that it was rolled down the hill while already on fire from the flammable liquid. They had started it at the top and then rolled her. So, whether it's their stupidity or uh, <laughs> lack of planning. Laziness. Or, like, fuck it. Yeah. Well, at least I didn't catch, like, a whole bunch of shit on fire by that Definitely. move. Yeah. Yeah, so it had come unraveled and her body was exposed and that's where she was found the next day. And then after this, deputies had camped out for a couple weeks at all the different turnoffs in Covina Hills Road, asking drivers that frequent the route if they'd seen anything unusual in the days prior. And then maybe also to see if anyone suspicious showed up. Because we know sometimes killers, especially the types that like to collect single earrings, for example, might return to the scene of the crime. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they want that other earring. Oh, oh God. Like, actually, this is a nice pair. I think I want the other one. She's like, I could give this to my girlfriend. Oh, no. Oh, some Some of those killers do, though. They do. Mm-hmm. Ask for a receipt if someone gives you some jewelry. Yeah. Can I have a gift receipt in case I don't like this? Also for that, too, because I'm really picky. <laughs> don't give me jewelry. I'll buy myself jewelry. <laughs> So actually, one driver had said that on the night of October 27th, which is the night before her body was found, like on his drive, he had observed three white men in their 20s stopped by a red four-door sedan along the side of the road. And he passed by them a little bit more slowly because some of these turnoffs are too narrow for a car to actually 
be totally off the road, so maybe he had to slow down to kind of go around them safely. He'd pass by them more slowly, and he recalls one of them kind of gave him the creeps because he made eye contact, and that guy gave him one of those, like, really long, cold, dark stares as he passed. Creepy. Ew. So that kind of sat out in his mind. Yeah. And then that kind of is where it ends up. So that was October of 1995. She sat in cold storage for a while and then eventually because there weren't any leads and no identification and no missing persons that matched her she didn't have any tattoos or other marks that would indicate her identity oh that's a good idea another good reason to get a tattoo actually yeah or many tattoos or many i'm sure my tattoos will be weird enough they'll be like this is probably hannah but (laughs) (laughs) just a bunch of bones let's hope that we can we don't have to go to tattoos to identify you. Okay. That's that's probably for the best. Or let's hope that we don't have to identify you. Yeah. That's even for the better. <laughs> yeah. So after after some time and her case has been cold, Jane Doe number 59 was cremated in 1996 and her remains were then buried in a cemetery along with the other unidentified victims from that year. Cremating seems like an odd choice in an unsolved crime. Yes. Okay. Yes. They sometimes take additional samples. I'm not sure if they did for her, but like they can take phalange, like fingertips, to do Mm -hmm. uh, fingerprint identification on things. I don't recall um, or I didn't find in, in any article whether they did that for her or not. I could be wrong. I mean, could you hear about the popper's graves where they bury but generally they're buried not cremated before i wonder if that's just county code or something like that yeah it could be county because there's there's so many and it's also la so real estate is actually a limiting factor a lot of the times mm-hmm. yeah I, I don't know why that's their policy it does sound like it's difficult to kind of be able to get any additional evidence out of anything but if they did keep some samples to be able to work with but Yeah, you hear a lot about people that are actually exhumated, like, multiple times. They're like, "Eh, I don't know if we did a good enough job. We'll try again. Yeah. Especially in some of these, like, cold cases. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They come back around and they want to excavate the body and look for DNA or something. Definitely. Yep. Yeah, so unfortunately, she was cremated and, and buried instead of just buried But now I'm going to switch gears and kind of follow the limited chronology of events that I could find about this case prior to the Jane Doe 59. So let's transition now 230 miles away to the coast um, in Morro Bay along California. (laughs) California's central coast. It's picturesque. It's very nice. Yeah. So it's one of those beautiful coastal cities, if you could call it that. It's more like a town because there's just over 9,000 inhabitants at that time that enjoyed miles and miles of hiking trails and beaches and nature reserves. Gail Allen was living life, 20 years old, living in a cozy apartment with Marquis Dittar. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. And the two have a young daughter, Katie. So Gail had moved around a little bit in her life. She was raised in Victorville by her father until she met and started dating Marquis. And then the couple moved to Pennsylvania to live with Marquis's mom until Gail got pregnant and their daughter Katie was born. And then they both returned, or all three returned, to California. <laughs> the where they baby's then just lived. somewhere. <laughs> yeah, somewhere. In the ether. Um, they all returned to California and they lived in Apple Valley area before ending up in Morro Bay. Life on the coast seemed to work for a while. Gail was working at the local Taco Bell and she had befriended several of her co-workers 
everything seemed like it should have been pretty a pretty nice setup, right? But things with Marquis started to go on the rocks. And so even though they were cohabitating to help care for Katie, Gail had become more than a bit unreliable. Gail had been? Gail, yes. Okay. She had become unreliable. Marquis had said that she started coming and going as she pleased and that she, quote, befriended a man who went by the nickname Cowboy. Yeehaw, motherfucker. Yeah, and Cowboy may or may not have been one of her co-workers at Taco Bell. Got a cowboy at a Taco Bell. Interesting. <laughs> so it sounds like things are kind of falling apart on the home front for Gail and Marquis and Katie, but she's still coming by periodically to check on her daughter. Okay, you probably don't know the answer to this, but where is she living if not with Marquis? I mean... Okay. Maybe with Cowboy, partially? I don't know. Yeah. Was there any talk about drug use or drug addiction as a part of this case? Nope. Because Cowboy, not getting a real name, feels like a drug thing. Oh, yeah. It does. And then abandoning her daughter and then just coming and going and... Yeah. I don't know. It just sounds like maybe there was something, something else going on. Or she was just 20... I was going to say, she's also 20 and had a daughter at a young age, because her daughter's already two by this point. Woofed. Yeah, so it sounds like she's she's had a little bit of a, a roller coaster of events that has led, to, led her to this point. So maybe she didn't quite have all of her ducks in a row and have plans, and that's kind of one of those difficult things that lands you in unusual circumstances sometimes. It also kind of sounds like a very early 20s relationship where they, they don't talk they never break up they just do this weird shit for a while and now in my 30s it's just like get to the fucking point yes or no yeah like this is a waste of time yeah it sounds like a one of those hey when are you going to be home i don't know what's it to you kind of attitude sort of things going on here yeah so yeah because the way that he describes this that marquis describes this he sounds kind of nonchalant in the quotes that i that i was able to read off of the investigation stuff so I was going to say, this is Marquis telling the story. Yeah, we don't have her side of the story, so we don't know if their relationship had other complicating factors, too. Cowboy might not even exist. Cowboy might not exist. Cowboy could have been a friend that was helping her out of a situation. Oh, yeah. Because we don't know if, like, there were other bad things happening at home that were kind of keeping her. it up. Right, exactly. So we don't have her side of the story. All we know that things were falling apart, and she hadn't been reliable, and she was keeping strange secret friends from him. Was there any talk about her family at all? So she wasn't actually super close with her family. Okay. Yeah, so it wasn't unusual for them to not hear from her for an extended period of time, but I'll, I'll get to that a little bit. Okay. Actually, kind of the same with me and my family. I could be dead for a month or two before I think my parents would actually notice. Oh, no. My mom might notice. But someone would notice. I would notice. Someone would. My mom would notice that I'm not posting on Instagram ever. Uh, that would probably be the trigger. <laughs> where's Hannah? Hannah, are you okay? There's no possum stories. So Marquis said later that the last time that he ever saw her, she was leaving the apartment after collecting some of her personal belongings, and that he saw her greeting a man that he didn't recognize before getting into the man's red Chevrolet Cam- uh, Camaro the weekend before Halloween in 1995. I don't know very much about cars. Is a Camaro considered a sedan? Yes, and okay. it's red. Yes. I know colors. I don't know cars. 
Yeah. So, yeah. Hello. Red car. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> and it's considered a sedan and not a sports car? Oh, I I mean, if you're driving by in the night and you see a red car, you're going to call it a red car. You know it's not a truck. You know it's not a motorcycle. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, but at least Marquis knew that it was a Camaro. Marquis knows about cars. Yeah. He knows about cars. <laughs> so, the... The Taco Bell manager at the Taco Bell she worked out um, said that she had failed to pick up her last paycheck as well, which... Always a bad sign. That's a bad Mm -hmm. sign. That's not great at all. But it's just, it's so strange to me that she would just up and leave her two-year-old daughter like this and just go willingly into a car of this guy and take off for wherever and... It's strange that, that she's if, she, if things were bad for her in this relationship, that she would leave her daughter to begin with. But maybe she was doing, or having postpartum, or doing drugs, or, or any number of things, right? We don't know her Just side of it. trying to feel young or something, yeah. like she's only 20. Yeah. Or not expecting um, to be gone forever. Yeah. But then it's also weird that when she didn't show up again, like she kind of had been off and on, that Marquis and her friends and her manager didn't talk about it. Like, okay, she's not here. We're not going to do anything? All right, cool. You would think the manager at Taco Bell would be at least like, uh, who the fuck is covering this shift? Yeah, right? Yeah. So nobody filed a missing persons report? No one. Okay. No one reported her missing. That's fucking sad. I mean, I get I get Marquis might have thought that she, like, ran off with this other man and was like, peace, I'm going to go to some other city elsewhere that you don't know about. But she was also supposed to have spent Thanksgiving that year with her grandmother. So, like, a month away, right? She's leaving in late October. Thanksgiving's in November. And her grandmother, who was in Victorville, she never showed up there. But she wasn't reported missing then. And her grandmother didn't notice. I guess that's part of the... Her family wasn't very close with her. So maybe they just thought, oh, she's being flaky again or something. Yeah, maybe that was just her natural motive. Yeah. With her family is to say, yeah, 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 I'll show up. And then she maybe never shows up. Yeah. I would also say I can see Marquis not filing a missing persons report immediately. But a month later. Yeah. Yeah. She left her daughter behind. She might not give a shit about you, but most people, most parents have an attachment to their their young. Mm Mm-hmm. This is just why it makes me think that there was some sort of substance abuse going on. Yeah. Or something like that. I don't know. It just, it feels off. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Marquis could have also have said something like, she took off with another man. I don't know where she is and filled people in that way. And then they're like hesitant to ask because then it's kind of not our business sort of thing. God, we got to get nosier. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Morabe police and the FBI did end up interrogating him more than three years later, when in October of 1998, Gail was finally reported missing under suspicious circumstances by one of her long-term friends who hadn't heard from her in all that time and couldn't get in touch. Three years later? Three years later. Yikes. Finally a missing person. Jesus. Uh, but yeah, hey, better late than never, right? Yeah. I guess, but still... Yeah, it's bad. I would sincerely hope that somebody would miss me enough to report me missing within a, you know, a reasonable amount of time. Mm -hmm. I'll give you guys a week. Okay. (laughs) That's what I would expect. Someone should notice me within a week. Yeah. 
Like, Hannah's not out wilding in Cancun. She's gone. Hannah doesn't wild in Cancun. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah likes to party. There's too much sun there. Not like that. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> but yeah, it doesn't look like they pursued Marquis as a suspect either after their interrogation, and he then relocated to Florida with their daughter back in 2006. Did it say where the FBI were involved at that point? They were. So Morro Bay police had picked up the missing person case when she was reported missing, and then like, they called in the FBI for help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They are kind of small town, like, police force. Very small, yeah. So, yeah, it, it doesn't look like they kind of pursued Marquis after that at all, which is interesting. And she remained in the system as a missing person with no leads. So, jumping back to Jane Doe, number 59, March 1st, 2011, there were some DNA tissues submitted by the L.A. County's coroner's office to the California Department of Justice, their Bureau of Forensic Sciences and Missing Persons DNA program. So I'm just going to call this M- MPDP for short, because that's a lot of words. That's a lot. <laughs> so that they were able to submit for analysis an entry of the DNA profile into the combined DNA index system. CODIS. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Uh, wait a minute. Where'd they get the DNA from? So they had saved some samples, but okay. they didn't, I don't think they saved, they didn't save her whole body. They, you know, they took what they could, it sounds like. She was very burned. Yeah, I was just watching some show and they had taken the wisdom teeth and preserved the wisdom teeth oh. and they were able to remove the pulp from the teeth <gasps> yeah. and then do DNA testing on that. And that's good because it's like not contaminated with anything. Then the gross part about that one was... Basically, the person had tried to remove this lady's identity by removing all of her teeth. Oh. Her wisdom teeth had not erupted yet, so they were under the skin at the time of her death. So basically, it was the skull that had, I think even the lower jaw was missing, so it was the upper, but her two wisdom teeth were right there. That's really cool, though. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible. (laughs) Sorry, off topic. No, I love it. That's such a cool fact. I mean, a really dark and morbid fact, but cool also. That's Makes what we're here for. I miss my, my wisdom teeth a little bit. I still have one. I have one of my four. <laughs> yeah, so where was I? Here we are. Almost 11 months later. So that was March 1st. It was submitted into CODIS. Mm-hmm. In January of 2012, Mora Day Detective Dale Coulomb initiated the processing of DNA reference samples from Gail's father, Marcus Allen, who was still living in Victorville after all these years. They were sent to the MPDP Missing Persons DNA Lab for analysis and entry into CODIS. And then a month later, they were able to get in contact with her mother, Deborah Forrester, who was living in Colorado, and her DNA was submitted into CODIS as well. June 1st of that year, so six months later, basically, they were able to find the match, essentially. So the DNA lab notified the coroner's office that the DNA profile from Jane Doe number 59 actually matched the profiles that were generated from Marcus and Deborah, their DNA matched. So they were able to say like, okay, this victim's DNA matches the DNA profiles from this missing person's case. And so it wasn't even until then in 2012, June 2012, when they actually matched DNA samples to Jane Doe that matched the missing person's case. Oh, because they were working on Gail Allen's case. Mm-hmm. They knew her name, and so they asked her parents for DNA. I see what's happening here. Yeah, so I 
I kind of butchered that, but like it was, they're both working parallel universes and then they finally get to intersect. So now the identification of Jane Doe number 59 becomes Gail Allen and they know that the existence of both investigations are happening. And so that then reopens the murder case. Crazy. Yeah. But yeah, we've got some problems here, right? So Gail wasn't even reported for three years. That's a problem. From 95 to 98. That's a huge problem. And even then, she was only a missing person and not a murder case until Mm -hmm. June 2012. It's a lot of time to pass. Yeah. So for 17 years, no one knew that she was actually dead. Jesus. They knew Jane Doe, number 59, was dead, but they didn't know that Gail was her. Yeah. It's just so sad. And you think about that little girl who's now a young woman, and she's been missing her mom this whole time. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, probably can barely you might not even remember her mom if she was like two. no mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. probably formed memories of her dad saying yeah your mom walked out on us oh yeah marquis mm-hmm. that guy that guy but this also means right that even though the fbi did interrogate marquis they didn't know the fbi didn't know that she was dead that's true it was a missing persons case mm-hmm. yeah so maybe they would have asked different questions yeah. Or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yep. Had they known that at least that was like a link between them. But I mean, it's 230 miles away. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's yeah. a completely different location. There's nothing tying, you know, in theory to to either location. So I I don't know what what's the tie there. I couldn't find any details on whether or not they'd um, re-interviewed him for any of this or if they were able to find anyone else that she was associated with at the time of her disappearance. It's just so unfortunate that, that this slipped through the cracks like this and that there weren't more tools available at the time to help identify unidentified victims. Yeah, and if you asked me about someone I kind of knew 17 years ago, I got nothing for yeah. you. Like, I have no memories. Mm-hmm. I have nothing to share. I cannot be helpful with that passage of time. Yeah. I would probably remember if, if it was just something weird. I don't know. My brain works that way. My brain is Swiss cheese, and there's a bunch of holes that all my memories fall out of. And so even if it was weird, I think I would lose it. See, for me, it's like, I can't remember what I ate for lunch today, but I can remember that thing that I did or that thing that I said 17 years ago to you. (laughs) Wow. That made me feel slightly awkward. Oh, yeah. It's that sort of memory that fits. Yeah. Yeah. I have the problem where I can't remember what I had for breakfast sometimes, but I can also remember 75% of the dreams that I've had crazy i also forget what i eat like the day before but i'm not bad at trivia no your recall is great on facts yeah facts but not memories i can't like keep anything with an emotional tie in my brain (laughs) (laughs) you're like this random useless fact though it's up there forever (laughs) so i think it's important here to state and to make the statement for all of the listeners too that the Sheriff's Homicide Bureau detectives are seeking the public's assistance in identifying anyone who knew of her or has had any information at all about Gail Allen. They'd like to speak with anyone who has any conversations with her, had any conversations with her, had knowledge of uh, her whereabouts or associates or companions prior to October 1995, especially in Morabay, Santa Maria, or anywhere around the Los Angeles area. And if you do have information, you can call them at 323-890-5500.
It also seems obvious, but I'd like to additionally state that collecting DNA from biological relatives is now routine in missing persons cases, so they can link that to CODIS as soon as possible. Yeah, that there's been a lot of genealogy-related improvements in how different crimes are approached, I guess would be a good absolutely. term. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Especially now with like ancestry and stuff, too. Which I <laughs> fucking refuse. Oh. 23andMe is not getting my spit. Well, without those types of sites, though, they wouldn't have caught the Golden State Killer. I know. Yeah. But he had to be kind of pissed off at his relatives. <laughs> <laughs> so be it. Let them, Let him be pissed off. An interesting thing is I have several family members that on both sides of my family that do genealogy and, and fairly in-depth genealogy. One of my uncles on my dad's side, he did his and he actually found out that he had a child that he was unaware of. <gasps> Whoa! Holy shit! 60 years ago. Wow. Oh yeah. my god. And it was just one of those things where the mother got pregnant. They had, you know, like a little fling or something like that. Nothing serious. And she moved away, and she never called to tell him, you know. That's bananas. Wow. Right? So I guess you could get a bigger family if you wanted one. Well, yes, I have like three (laughs) family members, so it's about all I can handle. And could you imagine, though, being like, whoops, sorry, you have four siblings. Or you find out like you're... Have a, your father had a whole secret family or something like all of this weird all this weird shit is gonna come up yes it does exciting for my gossipy self <laughs> but i um keep my dna to myself okay <laughs> yeah so that that story ends there but i did end up finding another interesting side plot during my clumsy sleuthing at the same time living less than a mile away potentially going to the same taco bell that she worked at uh, is a man named Oscar Higueros Jr. Oh, in, in Morro Bay. In Morro Bay, at the same time that she went missing. This guy is a fucking piece of work. Great. Mm-hmm. Lay it on me. So, just to backtrack a little bit to, to give some backstory to this dude, um, and there's nothing positively linking him to this case or anything, but it just goes to show that in a town of 9,000 people at the time, like, there's still sickos pretty much right down the street from you. So, in April 1990, Oscar Huero Sr. was found stabbed to death in his Los Osos home. He was known to be a familial abuser and had thorough history of violence against his family. Okay, I'm not shedding a tear. Nope. Huero Sr. was arrested once, for example, after he assaulted and threatened to kill his wife and three children. So this is the household that Oscar Jr. was brought up in, and he was only 14 at the time of his father's death. Uh... Who killed his father? That went unsolved for more than a quarter of a century, Okay, actually. And it faded away into a cold case. But I was going to guess um, Oscar Jr. I was going to guess the wife. She's like, you know what? <laughs> Fucking tired of your ass. I'll kill you first, motherfucker. <laughs> they did have one person kind of as the prime suspect, but no evidence to be able to go after him. And then he actually fled the country to somewhere in South America, I'll I think. I'll do it. Yep, so they couldn't, they didn't have enough evidence to extradite, and they just were like, okay, cool, well, he's gone here anyway. I guess that's how they did it back then. But then through this case that I'm going to be talking about, they came upon some 
information and it comes up that actually Higueros Jr. told his victim that he was the one who had killed his father. Interesting. Who's his Mm -hmm. victim? So this is the case that I'm going to be talking about that uh, is this dude. So he's all sorts of messed up to begin with. It just, this part sheds some light on the violent background that shaped the world of Oscar Higueros Jr. Mm Mm-hmm. And that, like, his main, his main male role model as a young boy, right, was a violent abuser uh, towards women and children. Was garbage. And, yeah. And so when he grew up, Oscar Higueros Jr. became a fireman who is now accused of committing violence against multiple women. So the crime that led to his rest, arrest goes like this. A young unnamed victim, we're going to call her Jane Doe as well, but she's a teenager who remains unnamed for her safety and uh, privacy. She had just turned 17 in 2014, June 2014, when her mother left her alone in the house for two weeks while she went on vacation. I guess that's old enough. Yeah, I mean, I was left alone in the house for two weeks, but I also was like, no, I'm going to school, I have to do these things, and there was, I didn't associate with anybody that was troublesome or anything, and didn't live in small enough town where, like, That kind of thing was an option, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, so this newly 17-year-old did go a bit crazy and landed herself in a really unfortunate situation where she was essentially being pimped out by this guy that she met, um, and she was being pimped out on Craigslist. Jesus Christ. By this disgusting asshole named Richard Scott Brooks. So... Did they have a relationship? Nope. This all happened in this two-week span. In this two-week span, she met this guy. She... You know, was just trying to be a little crazy. Throw a house party. Yeah, something like that. I don't know. <laughs> but but to get pimped out on Craigslist? Jesus. That's so fast. She became entrapped in this situation because this guy was abusive and controlling and it was more than she could, you know, handle. I think when they met up, she kind of had already, like, made herself available to him and felt bad about taking it back and felt that she couldn't at that point after already being kind of creeped out by him, couldn't say no. She was in a situation where she felt like she would be in danger if she did. So one of the men that he pimped her out to was Oscar Higueros Jr. Higueros paid $150 to Brooks to have sex with her. Brooks has since been convicted of multiple crimes related to this sexual abuse, and he was sentenced to more than 60 years in prison. Goodbye. Yeah, so Higueros, yeah. Higueros had met Otter. <laughs> Wait, he met your cat? Otter? No, That's he keeps crazy. jumping up and like doing crazy shit. I'm going to lock you out. <laughs> <laughs> he just wants to be a part of the podcast. He wants, he wants attention so badly. We need to capture some purrs on the microphone at some point. He's definitely more bitey right now and no. less purring. Yeah, fair. <laughs> which, is, which is a problem. He's playful. It's not a good time of night for him to bother with it. Okay. <laughs> Where was I? Okay, Higueros met the teen by responding to the ad that Brooks posted on Craigslist, and he initially met her and Brooks at her home, and then was he later coerced her to move in with him. Jesus Christ, in this two-week period? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, my I, mind's a little blown. Now I'm wondering more about her mom was neglectful. Before, I was like, yeah. fine. But, ooh. Yeah. Sounds like just bad news all over the place. Mm-hmm. Prosecutors said during the trial that Higueros forced her to be his sex slave and tried to make her sign a master-slave contract. Ooh, boy. 
that's like one of the trickiest things too like that's the one where like consent is the most not the most important but you're playing you're playing this kind of game and like you need to be able to say no wait this isn't real or i don't want to do this safe words but there's no safety in this i'll say this too that means oscar whatever his fucking last name is was not a good dom he wasn't doing that like he wasn't he was just an asshole so she testified that Higueros made her do household chores and punished her for anything that she did incorrectly he frequently would punish her by using hate rape and on one incident was so violent that he broke her wrist jesus he would often also use a belt around her neck to restrain her and tighten it if she didn't do as he told her this still feels like it's more than two weeks though. yeah where does her mom come back so I think this is this is where it gets a little bit kind of like mixed up for me as far as the timeline timeline because they, they don't go into that a whole lot in the court documents from what I had seen. It just there's all the statements that I was able to access, and I'm not sure if they have like there's probably text message timestamps and stuff, but I I just didn't go that far into it because it's kind okay. of difficult for me to read about. So Higueros had tried to testify that she had lied about her age and that he didn't know that she was 17 during this supposed consensual relationship you can't do that to a 50 year old woman that's still no uh, there's no consent none of this was okay and then prosecutors actually were able to show text messages as proof in which she explicitly stated that she was 17 and he had no problem with very into that Mm -hmm. gross prosecutors also showed jurors videos of higaros having sex with her that's not a jury that i would want to be on no, he allegedly had recorded them in order to be able to publish them online for money. Okay. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So during all of this process, they're bringing up all the baggage. They find out that he also had admitted to murdering his father. And then in addition to this 17-year-old Jane Doe, seven other women had testified against him that he had forced them to have sex with him. So rape. Yes. Um, call was back. extremely violent in bed, and that many of them also claim that he tightened a belt around their necks. What a piece of shit. Yeah, there's a there's an MO here with the belt around the neck thing, which to me kind of rings some bells. We go back and remember that there were ligature marks around Gail Allen's neck when they found her body, so that's kind of a an overlap, too, that just kind of gives me heebie-jeebies. Yeah, and you said that he lived only a mile from where she lived or where her body was found he lived a mile from where she lived okay and so i had tried looking into this is what i was talking about when i tried to look into vehicle registration to see if he or one of his friends because remember she was last seen with one male but there were two others seen at the dump site that night if any of them had had a red camaro (laughs) but i don't have access to that information basically all this is to say that he at the age of 40, was found guilty on several counts of human trafficking, rape, and was then sentenced to 167 years. Good. Goodbye. Lock that fucker up. I guess what I'm kind of curious about is you said like Covina Valley Road is pretty quiet. And so if you don't know, you know. Exactly. If you don't know, you don't know. So how did they know or was it just super fucking random? That's another thing I was trying to find out, too. If he or one of his family members or friends lived nearby, then that would explain how they knew that that even existed as a site. But yeah, I, I didn't I didn't find anything regarding that. So, I mean, I don't know. There's nothing really definitively linking him here except for 
the coincidences that they lived very, very close together. There's actually, in in some of the text messages and letters from the 17-year-old to him and vice versa, that they go to Taco Bell quite a bit. And so I kind of have this, like, this thing in my head of, like, you either are a person who goes to Taco Bell for food or you aren't. Like, I don't go to Taco Bell unless I'm there socially, but it's not my first choice of oh, restaurant to eat at. I do go to Taco Bell. Exactly. And, like, that's fine, but it's, like, there's people who go and people who don't. It's kind of dichotomous. Yeah. <laughs> okay, fine. I will sit in my filth. It's fine. I mean, it's not. It's it's just, it's food. It's a food option. But I don't think of that as, like, my main food option when I think of food. I and also so, kind I of think of it a little bit as a, a place for younger people to go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was my jam back in back in the day. Yeah, because you can't get in a bar or anything. Yeah. So. Well, that was also due to extracurricular activities, so. Tacos always sound good. (laughs) They still always sound good. Tacos. Yeah. I like making my own tacos, though. But sometimes I want that fake Mexican (laughs) flavor in my mouth. Like, come on. (laughs) (laughs) All right. But yeah, they lived super close together. She worked at a Taco Bell. He probably went to the same Taco Bell. I mean, it was like right down the street from where both of them lived. So there's just a lot of coincidences and then their proximity that make you make you wonder and then also like the weird tendencies of because he was a firefighter and like there are some firefighters not to say all but like there's there's a a trend of firefighters in pyromania so there is to go too far into that (laughs) for sure yeah you would know more about that than i do there are little fire starters Mm -hmm. well what i thought you were gonna say originally was when you said he became a firefighter, was that he also set a bunch of fires in the background to go put them out or whatever, but who knows? We don't know. Yep. I mean, do they ever find people who set fires in California that cause little wildfires and stuff? They do. They catch them? Mm-hmm. I guess it's going on the news. Know. Sometimes they will, sometimes they don't. I know I'd have to look back, but I've read some articles where they were able to narrow it down to suspects and then finally get a confession. There was a very substantial fire in the Columbia River Gorge, and they were able to track that down to a minor. I don't believe they released that information. But if they can tie you to a fire, you will be charged for all the suppression costs, which can Holy be very... shit very expensive wow Ah. all right don't set fires yeah don't set fires don't do bad things just be a decent fucking human i never want to set a fire well that's all i've got i've got a a cold case that's unsolved and i've got a guy that has been put away for 167 years bye i uh got a plan to bring you some taco bell oh no (laughs) I'll just buy a Crunchwrap Supreme and then I'll eat it. I might have a little bit of a Crunchwrap Supreme, but I'm not really a fan of the ground beef stuff. I like more like chicken or steak. Oh, uh, see, I like the ground beef at Taco Bell because it doesn't taste <laughs> like beef. Oh, okay. Anywho. It just tastes like Taco it Bell. It tastes like Taco Bell. <laughs> I mean, Great. everything at Taco Bell kind of tastes the same, but it tastes like Taco Bell. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, we could segue into new beginnings and whatnot all right oh this is fun because i get to do a back back to back now wham bam (laughs) so for the astrology portion of this podcast tuesday may 11th is the rise of a new moon in taurus while this new moon might manifest a sort of physical energy and some boost and manifestation of 
goals and things for some of the signs, it can leave Taurus signs feeling pretty exhausted. So if you are a Taurus, you might want to use this time for personal reflection and rest instead of trying to tackle everything on your to-do list. Take a nap. <laughs> Take a nap. <laughs> As advised by True Crime Trine Podcast. <laughs> So yeah, get in touch with yourself, catch up on some much needed relaxation, some centering, give you some clarity and and whatnot on your goals. Our podcast is also a Taurus, so that means we can all take a nap. Oh, I need a nap. <laughs> okay, thank God. Perfect. All right, so for Taurus, yeah, do some personal reflection. So new moons are always about beginnings, a time when things can take root and with Taurus new moon, that means that you're going to be doing things that are physical, that are real. So it's about making something happen that has real substance to it. And with this potent kind of Taurus energy in this new moon, we have a chance to be able to make some important changes in our lives. And so it's going to be important for us to recognize, as all the different signs, what we can do to be able to manifest that. So a way to make some realistic plans. For Aries, your time now is going to be all about leadership and courage and charging forward on things with gusto to be able to achieve your goals. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> for, for Gemini, you have an opportunity to be able to create some fun within friendships so you can be a leader amongst your peers and maybe plan some exciting bonding activities with your crew. I'm still quarantined. <laughs> well, some fun at home or backyard activities. I don't know. Say hi, the podcast. <laughs> Well, that's true. That's very true. You mm -hmm. are, you were the uh, ignition. <laughs> I was the fire sign. Yep, and the fire starter to go back to this previous part of this episode. Then oh. I investigated that fire. <laughs> You're like, it was me the whole time. Oh, no. Damn. <laughs> I do not start fires, okay? Yeah, just so everyone knows. For cancer, you can achieve your goals during this time by starting to show some of your more assertive side. Oh, find that side, Cancer. Good luck. Might be a little foreign, but it's going to help your professional life. For Leos, this is time to sign up for an exciting class or to book a trip for a faraway place or do something totally unexpected that kind of uproots your routine to be able to change your goals and your perspective. In a COVID-safe way. Yeah. About this yeah. booking a trip somewhere thing. Makes me nervous. It could be a faraway place in a book. That's oh, true. Fair. <laughs> Doesn't seem super Leo, but... Yeah, do something different that you don't normally do to be able to get a different perspective and manifest different goals. For Virgo, the new moon will remind you that you're strong enough to handle any monster hiding under your bed. So it's time to get brave and start owning up to the ones that you can't see, like your debts, whether they be financial or spiritual. Ah, uh, Virgo rising. <laughs> For Libra, you're going to need to take this time to restart the balance. So don't tip those scales. You need, you need to advocate for yourself and prioritize your own needs and thoughts because they're just as important as being able to make compromises in your life. For Scorpio, you're going to need to do some change as well. So whether it's a challenging new exercise routine or, you know, keeping a, a better schedule for yourself... This is going to provide for you a time to be able to create some drive and energy to kick off a new and more productive era in your day-to-day -day life. Sagittarius, you're a fire sign, so during this time in a new moon in Taurus, you're going to want to manifest your goals by being able to ignite things that excite you. So find within yourself something that gives you passion or enthusiasm and go after it. For Capricorn, you're going to have some family matters or emotional issues that might call for your attention now. 
So you might want to be able to put your work life just a little bit on hold. I know that might seem weird, but it's going to help you be able to get your goals later if you take care of what needs to happen now. My dude, I'm always in an emotional crisis as a Capricorn. <laughs> but yeah, sure, I'll take a break from work. I'll tell my boss. New moon! New moon. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to take that day off. There's yeah. a lot of new moon in Taurus energy, and I need to go manifest. It's earthy. It is earthy. That is true. Mm-hmm. For Aquarius, innovative ideas just aren't doing anybody any services if you keep them bottled up inside of you. So this new moon is going to ask you to be able to make new connections and express your thoughts in a different way than you normally do to be able to manifest your goals. Come talk to me. I love Aquarius. <laughs> I was going to say, sharing is caring. Oh yeah. And then last but not least for Pisces, this new moon is clearing the slate in your financial life and giving you some motivation to step up your game. So it's time to increase your rates of production or productivity at work and manifest all of that abundance idea in your life. (laughs) All right, so you'll go to work a lot and I will stay home. This is totally opposite, but I guess that's what I need for a new moon. (laughs) Yay, new moon. Thank you so much for those awesome insights, Sarah. And listeners, If any of this hits home or you'd like to share your thoughts with us, please reach out. We would love to hear from you. You can connect with us on Twitter at TrueTrine, on Instagram at TrueCrimeTrine, on Facebook at TCT Podcast. You can email us directly at TrueCrimeTrine at gmail.com or you can check us out on our brand new website, www.TrueCrimeTrine.com. Thanks for listening. And as D.H. Lawrence says, we need not feel ashamed of flirting with the Zodiac. The Zodiac is well worth flirting with. Unless it's the Zodiac Killer. Boom! Music for our podcast was handcrafted by the talented and creative minds of Mike Warren and Pete Ortega. Our artwork was imagined and skillfully designed by the lovely Sarah Guest. As for production, well, they call me post-production. Show notes are available upon request. Just email truecrimetrine at gmail.com. Join us again next week for another tantalizing episode.